Welcome to the Dental Money Lounge, the place where dentists can tune in to grow their money, wealth and financial knowledge. Here are your hosts, Hassan Mushaid and Max Bazzucchini. Welcome to another episode of the Dental Money Lounge. You're joined by myself today, Hassan Mushaid and my co-host Max Bazzucchini. How are you, Hello, Max? Hello, everybody. Today we have brought back one of our previous guests who's provided so much value in the last podcast that we thought he needs to come back and even shed some more light into the whole experience of buying a dental practice. And Kevin Saunders, how are you today? Great. Good to be back again. Thanks. No worries. And Max, I will let you now take over and continue the conversation. Thank you, Hassan. Hi, Kevin. It's great to have you back. We had a lot of fun. Uh, on the previous podcast talking about financing for buying a dental practice and after the podcast that we realized there's so much that we can more that we can talk about so we decided to do another podcast today talking about the actual true cost and the total cost of borrowing as we we were talking about the questions that most dental practice buyers will ask when lending which is how much will the bank be able to lend but in your experience Kevin what actually are uh, clients looking for when they're borrowing money? Yes, that's a really good question. Obviously, clients are always looking to how much they can borrow um, when they're buying a practice. And then secondly, they tend to look at the interest rates. And I think sometimes clients focus far too much on the interest rate. They don't realize perhaps on a smaller loan, a slight tweak on the interest rate doesn't make that much difference to monthly repayments, which is what it's all about. Uh, obviously on the larger loans, it can have more of an effect, but often the term of the loan actually affects the monthly repayments far more. So clients tend to get hung up on interest rates uh, and what they don't consider are a lot of other costs around borrowing the money, which can actually add up to more than a slight tweak in the interest rate as well. Well, I mean, what kind of other charges could clients expect to pay on top of their interest fees? Okay, yeah, uh, so for example, legal fees. There's so much due diligence these days around buying a practice, and legal fees are huge. But some banks will need two firms of solicitors working on the case, one to represent the bank, and one to represent the client. Obviously, the applicant picks up all the costs of this. Now, sometimes that depends on the amount of a loan, so the larger practice deals just need to expect that. But sometimes it's just the actual bank, and it might be that that bank will have a panel of solicitors and they say, well, actually, if you can choose one of these two or three solicitors to work for both you and us, we're happy to have a dual instruction. Yeah. And that may be a saving in cost of about £7,000. And it's huge. Is, is there a benefit of using, let's say, um, some firms who are more specialised for the dental sector and then in comparison to, let's say, one of your local friends or the ones that the banks recommend? Yes, there is. To be honest, the banks tend to recommend the specialists. So we're talking here about whether you should use a specialist solicitor that specialises in dental practices, practice purchases, or whether you should use just a cheap firm that say they can do it and just deal in general commercial transactions. You really do need a specialist firm. Every time, every single case I've had where a client elects to choose a firm that isn't a specialist firm, there are always cost overruns because the firm just doesn't understand, for example, on an NHS, NHS contract, how the contract should be transferred. And what you tend to find is that another firm will then get involved, probably acting for the bank, and they'll have to do the work on behalf of the client's firm. Yeah. And then the client will pick up the, the, the fees for the smaller uh, firm that he's used and also for the additional work that the bank's firm had to do. So it ends up being a very expensive exercise. As I say, I think every single case where that's happened, 
the cost have really racked up. So it's better to go for the slightly more expensive firm in the first place that actually understands dental practices. You're absolutely right. And the advice when I am talking to uh, a um, prospective buyer of one of my practices that we have on the market, I always advise to not go directly to one high street bank because at the moment there are over 12 banks uh, actively lending, high street banks, and working with an independent advisor like yourself, you will have an overview of the entire market rather than just you know, the towards one bank. Yes, definitely. Uh, and one thing I lay out for the clients at the outset is what the, what the, uh, the situation is with the um, solicitors. So I'll give them the interest rate, the fees attached, but I'll also advise them about the solicitors. So if there's a dual instruction required with two firms from an offer from one bank, I'll lay that out against the other bank, which says there's only one firm of solicitors involved here or needed here. So you need to offset those costs as well. So do you essentially do a uh, almost a spreadsheet comparison between banks outlining the good points and, and the costs and the bad points on, on, on each of the offering? essentially yes i try to put it all onto an email it's easily readable and yeah. we even leave off often leave off the bank names so that clients yes actually can just see bank one bank two bank three and don't have any preconceptions about the bank at all based on the name of the bank yeah uh, and we detail the amounts the fees the interest rates the, whether there's early repayment fees illegal fees well i can never tell them exact legal fees but whether two firms are required and then i can talk it through with a client about their own circumstances and which of the other best offers perhaps for them from those okay. that we've received. And if, uh, for the benefit of our listeners, is there a difference if buyers are buying practices on their own or as a conventional partnership or expansion basis or limited company or LLP? Yes, obviously the costs rack up if you're buying a limited company. The legal due diligence is huge. Um, yes. Basically, you have to set up a, a new limited company to purchase the shares of the limited company uh, that are being sold. So there's a lot of legal work involved in that. Also, it's far easier to buy a freehold when it comes to the legal work than it is to take over a short commercial lease because a, a short commercial lease has far more clauses in it and the bank wants all those checked out and the lawyers will want to check them out anyway to protect the client. So those sort of things can wrap the costs up. But to be honest, you know, when you find a practice, if it's the right one for you, you just have to go with that because if it's got a short lease, you just have to do the legal work that's involved with that. If it's a share sale, you're not going to be able to convince the owner to make it an asset sale. So you just have to basically go with the cost involved with that as well. Okay, Kevin, so we were earlier discussing the expenses that clients are expected to pay, but which they don't apprehend from the beginning. They, they, they seem to concentrate on the interest rates more than anything else. What other costs can they expect to be paying as part of their borrowing? Okay, so we mentioned the legal fees. There's also early repayment charges. Not all the banks have them. Some banks are happy for you just to repay the loan in part or in full at any time, and there's no penalty at all. One bank, for example, has a lifetime early repayment charge of 1%, while another will have a 2% charge at the outset, reducing every year by half a percent. So you really need to consider your future plans. If you're buying a practice and your intention is to increase the fees and then flip it on and make a profit, probably you need to go for one of the offers that doesn't have any early repayment charge. And that might mean taking a slightly higher interest rate, but I mean, at the end of the day, we have to weigh up what the early repayment charge will be against what the slightly higher interest rate would be. But those are all the sort of things that can be considered at the outset, as long as the client knows 
what their plans are. Okay, and there is also, we as a uh, broker agency, Pluto, we provide valuations and we obviously work on behalf of sellers um, uh, providing valuation for the dental practices. And we are all ACCA uh, business valuers. However, all banks will need a, a their own valuation. So what is the cost of uh, the bank valuation? Yep, so banks will need a chartered surveyor to go in and value, value the practice. I was going to say that some banks would, some wouldn't, but increasingly the banks ask for a, um, a business valuation. So it does depend on the purchase price of the practice. But I always, as a ballpark, I tend to think about two to three thousand pounds plus plus that. Uh, it might be slightly less, it might be slightly more. Just depends on the particular transaction. But yes, that's really the first stage in the process. Once we've got an agreement for the bank, then we go straight on to the valuation after that. Thank you, Kevin. I want to ask you a question. We have at the moment at Pluto Partners, uh, we have a practice on the market. 7,000 UDAs for 215,000 pounds worth of contract value, so approximately 30 pound a UDA, plus 2,000 pound a month of private. The practice is valued at 365,000, plus there is also property approximately value 150,000. So a buyer looking to buy this practice, how much deposit would they need? And uh, what will it be the cost of borrowing against this practice? That's a good question. Yes, and, and lots of people get hung up on looking at the big NHS contracts and the million pound plus practices. Whereas actually, if you're an associate buying your first practice, I think it's a really good idea to look for something sub half a million. So if you can find a practice fit in the £350,000 price bracket, for example, then you're likely to be able to borrow more money from the bank in terms of loan to value. It's a much higher chance that you can achieve a 90% loan-to-value loan rather than 80% have to put 20% deposit in. So that obviously helps keep your costs down a lot. So assuming that's all unsecured, the average interest rate would be somewhere like 3 to 3.5% over base. Then you'd have a 1.5% facility fee on top of that, usually some small security fees as well, and by that I mean below £1,000. And legal fees, again, you can then use um, almost any solicitor that's got a specialism in dental practices which helps to keep the fees down because you can shop around more so maybe six seven thousand pounds on legal fees as well okay thank you and will it be helpful or better in terms of lending um, options to also buy the property or focusing just on buying the goodwill that's also a very good question people always think if they buy the freehold then the banks will see it as a more attractive proposition. But actually, it just lumps a load more load more finance on top and makes it sort of more weighty for the bank to consider and serviceability. A practice where you're paying rents with an option to buy the freehold in a couple of years, a couple of years down the line. Okay. And you'll find that banks, if, if the practice is stable and things are good, a couple of years down the line, they'll fall over themselves to help you buy the freehold. But that's not to say that you shouldn't buy the freehold at the outset. Again, I help many clients to do that because it's on offer and that's the only option. You have to buy the goodwill and the freehold. Okay. And what in terms of um, additional costs, is there also a cost uh, for an insurance? Yes. If it's an unsecured loan, then generally the banks would like to see a life insurance policy and income protection policy as well. So there's the, there's the monthly cost of that. And that depends person to person, depending on the premiums as to how much that's actually going to cost. Okay, and I, I guess if it's um, um, if you also buy the property, then you will also need a property insurance. 
as, 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 a, as a requirement. Yes, you would. You're always going to need business insurance to cover your contents. But if you buy the property as well, you'll have to obviously insure the freehold. But I guess that's not the greatest expense. I agree. My point to you, Kevin, is, is more about the applications to get the insurance as opposed to cost. Uh, how long would it take for the insurance uh, to get into you? Good question. Uh, buildings and premises insurance is very quick. We, we generally get that organised a couple of days before the loan draws down, or on exchange is actually the best time to do it, as long as clients are in agreement. Okay. But the life insurance and income protection is is the thing that often catches us out because clients don't want to start the application early enough. And it depends, there's one tick in the wrong box or one answer about the medical condition and investigations have to happen, letters have to be sent to GPs, and the whole thing takes quite a long time. So it's best to start that process as early as possible and get the uh, the acceptance from the life insurance policy, that company rather, and then just put it on hold with a start date for the future once we know when the purchase is coming through. So to avoid any uh, any sort of last minute um, problems, where, what, what do you advise a, a buyer? When, when is it a good time? When is the best time to actually apply for life cover, income protection and property insurance? Yes, so basically when the loan is agreed by the bank, the next stage is the valuation. When the valuation comes back, often the loan is tweaked. It could be up or down, depending on that commercial valuation, often a renegotiation at that point. After then, the conditions of the loan are set that's quite a good time to start the applications rolling. Because as I say, they can, as long as you're ahead of the game, they can be um, put through and accepted and then just pended until the end of the, um, end of the, the, the process. It's really hard to talk about exact timescales because as you all know, Max, it, every, every case is different and the due diligence is really lengthy these days. So it, it's really just a case of trying to do everything as early as you can. CQC application as well. Just making sure you're ahead of the game and not caught out because suddenly you find when you're buying a practice all the legal work tends to come together very quickly at the end in a matter of days and you can be caught out by not having your life assurance and income protection applications where they should be at that point okay we we talked last time in our previous podcast about uh, the importance of presenting yourself in the best possible uh, light it's like a job interview as a viable proposal uh, for the bank as a, as, a, as a buyer and as a business. And today it's been very good talking about all of the actual total cost and the true cost of borrowing. So we talked about the interest rate, um, uh, the upfront cost, the arrangement fees, valuation, security costs, any other additional costs that you want to add? Well, actually going back to the facility fee, one other point that clients often don't think about is the ability to put that facility fee onto the loan account itself. And some banks will offer that option. Quite a lot of money to come up with upfront. So uh, that's another thing to consider when you're offered money, if the facility fee can be added onto the loan. Because obviously turned over 15 years, then it's almost negligible when it comes to the monthly repayments. So Kevin, after listening to yourself, could you give us a quick summary of all the things that buyers should be looking out for as extra expenses when borrowing money? Yes, okay, so we started with the interest rate. Obviously it is important. But in addition, we need to look at whether uh, legal fees, so whether two firms of sisters need to be instructed or not, um, early payment charges, so again, considering 
future plans of the clients. The facility fee and the ability to add that onto the loan. I mean, there's lots of little extras as well. For example, banks are increasingly asking for quarterly management information going forwards once the loan's actually drawn down. So there's obviously a cost there in getting your accountant to compile that information for you. That's That's been really useful. Uh, perfect summary of what you should be looking out for when borrowing money. Thank you very much, Kevin, again. Thank you very much for sharing your uh, knowledge uh, with all of us. I cannot stress enough the importance of preparing. Preparation is absolute key. And talking to uh, an independent advisor like yourself when buying a dental practice is absolutely critical and vital to succeed. Someone like yourself, FCA regulated, part of the National Association of Commercial Finance Broker, is, is imperative. So once again, thank you very much. You're welcome. Look forward to the next one. And that's everything from us today at the Dental Money Lounge. And we hope you enjoyed the show and we hope you enjoyed having Kevin back on the show again. As always, we'll be back again next week on Wednesday at 8 p.m. So remember to subscribe so you can be notified every time our show goes out. And we'll catch you guys next week. Bye for now. A word from our sponsors. The Creative Composite. Dental marketing which helps you grow. The Pluto Partnership where professionalism meets confidence.